The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Announcements this morning, so let's go now uh, to God's Word. As we have faced so many um, challenges, I think, in our country and our city, and the issue of justice and especially um, diversity and, and really um, segregation and, and the fallout of segregation, which I think is the root of so much injustice in our cities uh, and, and in our country. I wanted to take three weeks today and then two weeks after this to deal with kingdom justice, this whole topic of kingdom justice. And this morning specifically, we're looking at how God designed the church to be a place of utter reconciliation. And the whole book of Ephesians is really about the church being the context and God's plan A for reconciliation among race and class and gender. And so let's go to his word now, and I'm just going to read one verse, Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10. And we're going to expand this out, but I'm just going to read this one verse. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Let's pray and ask God to open our hearts and minds to his word. Father, eyes to see and ears to hear. That's our prayer this morning. Come by your spirit. Overcome all my weakness. Overcome all my lack of knowledge my misunderstanding, and bring truth to bear through your word upon our hearts and minds that we might be your church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Galatians 6 and verse 2 says this, Bear one another's burdens, and in so doing you will fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens, and in so doing, you will fulfill the law of Christ. When Paul wrote those words, he was writing to a church that was experiencing racial, ethnic, and cultural division. There was hatred between two groups, primarily the Jews and the Gentiles. And not only two groups, but also two classes, the slave and the free. And because of this, Paul comes in and he is encouraging the church to become one and to have their eyes open to the reality of what God intends to do through this radical new institution that God has launched really through the, the resurrection of Christ. And that the primary goal, the primary thing that God is doing is bringing reconciliation to divided people. And so Paul, when he spoke these words, is saying, I don't want you just to come and be at church together. I want you to be in such deep relationship that you are bearing one another's burdens. 
that you so know and empathize with what others are going through that you are literally asking them to offload their burden onto your back so that you can walk together, burden together by the same burdens. And what has happened in the church today is because we still are the most segregated hour and the segregated community, really, I guess there's some more segregated, but not many in our culture today, because we are the church segregated and not the church reconciled and diverse, we don't even know how to relate to each other's burdens And we spend most of our time telling one or the other that, no, you're really not burdened. And if you are, you really don't have any any grounds to be burdened. As opposed to being the church and coming together and being burdened together, we have witnessed the effect of a segregated church by the state of our cities. Because what Paul is going to tell us, especially this morning as we walk through Ephesians, is that the church is to be an alternate community, a haven of rest for those who are experiencing the onslaught of the injustices of the world that will always exist this side of glory. And yet when the church is segregated, the church becomes a place that adds to the burden and does not relieve nor take it away. What I want us to see this morning is that the contention of Paul in Ephesians and all throughout the scriptures and really the message of the Bible from beginning to end is that God's plan A to heal the world is a reconciled, diverse church. So let's go now to it, and let's see that first, God's greatest tool, really His plan A of healing the world, is a reconciled, diverse church. On the afternoon that um, the bridge was shut down a couple of months ago, a few months ago, our session, our elders were meeting in our office at 35 Union, uh, which is basically on the corner of Riverside and Union. And we had just let out. It was around 5 o'clock. And Jed, my son-in-law, who's an elder as well, were, were standing out in the parking lot uh, just processing um, a conversation that we were having. And, um, and, and I kind of noticed down Riverside a large group of people uh, coming down Riverside toward the, now what I now know is to be the bridge. That's where they were heading. I had no idea then. And then I saw Derek Oliver... Uh, one of our elders, African-American elders, uh, in his pickup truck, come by us in the parking lot, and he had like five African-American men in the back of his um, uh, his pickup truck, and they were heading in that same direction. I was like, what in the world is going on? And so I get in my car to go home, and I, I, tr- I go down front uh, toward Mud Island, and it's shut down. They're police, they're a few thousand people. Um, and I see them lining, you know, from the Cook Convention Center all the way up to the bridge, and I finally realize what's going on. And I have to tell you that as a white guy um, in downtown, I got a little scared. Because this was about, I think it was the same week, if not, you know, maybe a week or two after of the police shootings where an African-American man um, 
targeted white police officers and, 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 and shot them. And as I'm driving, trying to get home, I'm realizing I'm like the only white guy around. And I was afraid. I'll admit it to you. And yet when I got home and I, I turned on the TV and I began following the story, I, I texted uh, one of my friends. I said, are, are you going to the bridge? And they said, I'm headed that way now. Meet me there. And I want you to know, everything in me went, why in the world did I send that text? <laughs> I'm already scared to death, you know, hunkering down as a white guy on Mud Island, you know. And I chickened out. I didn't go. Uh, I'll be the first to admit. But in the, in the days after that, I want you to know that the way that I processed that whole incident was radically different than the way I would have processed it even eight years ago. I, I found myself unable to participate, and I found myself having a completely different perspective and verbalizing that perspective when I was in an all-white conversation of people outside of this church. And what I found myself doing is I found myself kind of distancing myself by what I was saying and what I'm believing. And the only thing that I can point to, I am no smarter now than I was eight years ago. Lord, I wish I were. The only thing that has changed is I have done life with my African-American brothers and sisters. And some of my dearest friends are African-American. And so the pad responses and the pad conversations and the they just don't hold water for me anymore. And I have a different perspective. Why is that? Because the church is the stage that that kind of story of reconciliation is to take place. You see... Paul comes to the church in Ephesus and he says that the manifold wisdom of God, catch this, has been made known to who? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So what Paul is saying is this, what goes on in the church is not just important in your communities. That what goes on in this room is not just important to us personally. But when we come together as the reconciled, diverse church, we are giving a message to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Listen later. Paul will flesh this out in Ephesians 6.12. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Do you hear that? To the degree that we are creating a community of love across diverse lines. To the degree that we are coming together and bearing one another's burdens and we are one in the church. We're not a, we're not a black church. We're not a white church. We're just the church. To the degree that we are doing life together, we are making a statement. We are making a proclamation to the very forces of evil in the cosmic realm of darkness. We are saying the gospel wins. And it wins over you. 
Do you understand the magnitude of what Paul is saying here? This is, this is exactly what Paul is saying. Listen as we expand out of, of, of verse 10 of Ephesians 3 that we read a minute ago. Listen to verses 4 through 6. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery... This mystery, through the ages, this wonderful mystery that is just now being revealed is this. That the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members, catch this, of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. This, so says Paul, is the mystery of the gospel through the ages. What God has been doing since the fall of Genesis 3, since the great division of Genesis 11 and the Tower of Babel, since the promise to Abraham that he would be a blessing to all the nations, is that he has been moving toward this one moment in time when his son would come and live righteously in in, in the Father, righteously under the law, and then go to a cross and be judged for the sins of God's people, both Jew and Gentile, slave and free, male and female, so that through him we might have one reconciled, diverse church that would stand as an apologetic and a testimony and a sermon to the cosmic powers of darkness that Jesus wins. Is that not unbelievable? Hear me in in Ephesians 2. This is the whole work of Paul to the church in Ephesians. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments and ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Do you see that this is the manifold wisdom of God being displayed right here in our midst? What we are telling the devil is it may work out there, but it doesn't work in here. And if you look at the church and you ask, why in the world do we make so much about a diverse church? Is this some type of social experiment? Is it because we can say, na 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 to all the other? No. We are fighting for the gospel. We are fighting for the fame of Jesus to be manifest on the stage of His church. That's what's at stake. Because this is God's plan A to heal the world. And then secondly, a reconciled, diverse church is God's manifold wisdom and His wisdom works. A reconciled church is God's manifold wisdom and His wisdom works. I was um, 
when we had the fish fry a few weeks ago, I had two guys team together to, uh, to do a significant job. Uh, one was white, middle, upper class, very resourced. The other um, was African-American, as well as um, um, grew up very under-resourced and still, to a large degree, is. And these two guys just hit it off and, and, and worked extremely well together. And both were talking about how good the other was at the craft and, and so on and so forth. And later that, um, you know, after everything was done and we were cleaning up, I was with uh, the white guy. And, you know, he was just bragging and, you know, about the guy that I put with him and, you know, how well they worked and all, you know. And I said, man, that is awesome. Do you know his story? And he said, no. I said, man, that guy spent hard time in prison for shooting somebody in his 20s. And he just kind of... And then he said this. He said, you know, that's the kind of story we need to, we need to hear. I said, yeah, you're right. This is the kind of story that we need to hear. Is the two of you working together, the two of you hitting it off as friends, you having no suspicion, having no preconceived, you just being friends working together. And it's interesting, as I look at my own life and I hear so many inside this church, I can't tell you how many African Americans have come to me and, you know, kind of privately or maybe in a smaller group and said, Richard, I've got to... that I had some prejudice before coming to downtown church, that, that I was raised to be skeptical, to fear, to hold white people at bay. Because they're kind of looking, you know, they're, if they're being nice to me, they must want something from me. They must want to use me. And I can't tell you how many have said, those walls have come down in my heart through this church. Do you see what is amazing is that God's wisdom works. Diverse community in the gospel changes us. Why does it can change it? Why does it change us? Because of this whole reality that, that Paul refers to um, this wisdom as God's manifold wisdom. The manifold wisdom of God is displayed through the church. What does that mean? What does this word manifold mean? Manifold is a Greek word that refers to um, something being diverse or multicolored. And so what Paul is saying is this, that reconciled diverse church is God's manifold wisdom. Did you hear me? Reconciled diverse church is God's manifold wisdom. The Greek word means multicolored diverse. It's referencing wisdom that comes simply by having God's church diverse. By having the aim of the gospel to simply reconcile people that would otherwise hate each other or be apathetic toward each other. This is God's wisdom displayed. So what does that mean? What that means is that when we come together and when we sacrifice our cultural comforts, For the sake of the higher purpose of the glory of Christ and and with a passion for his manifold wisdom to be displayed to the whole world, even the entire universe, even the cosmic powers of darkness. 
That when we make those sacrifices and we come together in Christ to be this radical community, that we are preaching the very gospel of Jesus by our community. And I want you to know that God understands that everyone in this room has made sacrifices to be here. I can't tell you how many people have found a different church other than downtown church and said, it just feels like home. Well, of course it feels like home. Because what you're looking for is the music that you like and the people that you like. What you're looking for is the comfort that we all long for. That doesn't mean we're a perfect church and that's the only reason that people have let... Just hear what I'm saying. Just take the general statement of what I'm saying. Of course, when you love classical music and you find a church and all they do is classical music, or you love gospel music and all they do is gospel music, of course it's going to feel more like home. When you go to a church and everybody understands all the same jokes and and you don't have to be on edge a little bit, kind of calculating what you say or don't say because you're afraid to... Of course, when everybody understands everybody, of course it feels more like home. But that's not the creation of God, that's the creation of man. His passion is a diverse church that we might be the alternative to just a cultural, easy body. We are all prejudiced. We are. Black, white, Asian, Latino. I am prejudiced toward my culture in a lot of ways. I am. And the only way that I'm going to get over that is by doing life with you. Because I will give up what I like for those that I love. Do you see that? And that's the gospel. It says, get over you and come into Christ and His body. And so a diverse church works because it shows us how messed up we are. And it takes us to a different place. And then thirdly and lastly, a reconciled diverse church is the result of believing the very love of God. Why do I need to preach this message to this church? Why not just skip diverse church because we've heard how many, we've probably heard more sermons on diverse church than any other church in Memphis. Uh, we've had, you know, we've had, we've dealt with it in community groups, we've dealt with it in seminars, we deal with it in um, every um, Discover seminar, we've had numerous sermons. Why do we need to hear yet one more sermon on diversity? Because it's hard. Because it's hard. Because when we open up and we live out of the reality of God's diversity in His church, we make the devil mad. I want you to know that in the last eight years, I've experienced more turmoil, trial, and personal loss than I have in the other 43 years of my life. I feel like I'm the devil's whipping boy. The last five months have probably been harder than the first two years of this church. 
And you know, I have people coming up to me saying, man, Richard, how are you after all the... And you know what my line is now is, you know what, I don't know that I'm doing okay. (laughs) You say, Richard, you're supposed to be doing okay. No, I'm not supposed to be doing okay. Do you remember the sermon that Tim preached a couple weeks ago? Blessed are who? The poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who, remember, mourn. Wait a minute. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you when men hate you and persecute you. Now that doesn't sound like an emotionally healthy person right there. And I want you to know, I don't know how emotionally healthy I am. Because I am poor in spirit. (laughs) Because I am mourning a lot. Because I am hungering and thirsting for the righteousness that doesn't exist presently. Because we have been persecuted in, in so many ways. And yet, that takes us to a place where we have to either trust God or drown in despondency. It takes us to a place of Psalm 37. This was our our call to worship. Fret not because of evildoers. Be not envious of the wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. I don't want to do good, God. You do good, son. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. No, I'd rather be unfaithful. I'd rather compromise my doctrines. I'd rather compromise my theology. No, you befriend faithfulness. You delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Oh, wow, that means I'm going to be rich. No, that doesn't mean I'm going to be rich tomorrow, but it means I'm going to be rich one day someday. And if you look at our study of Hebrews, you see in, in Hebrews chapter 11 that the, the great wall of faith, do you know um, uh, what, what held them together, what was the common thread? They did not believe that this was their home, but they believed that their citizenship was in another country, in another land that is not bounded by the demographics of this world. And so they lived as if they had a home that was not this world, and therefore they could be different than this world. I preached this sermon at Second Prez Sunday night, and I had an older white woman come up to me and say, thank you, thank you, thank you. She said, I have been directing my life in the area of justice and reconciliation, and it's been so hard, and I haven't seen fruit, that I've almost given up. Said, but what I've just learned tonight is that it's not there for me to see fruit. It's there for me to live out because it is right, good, and true in the sight of God. And I said, Hallelujah. That's it. Because when white resourced people get involved in the issues of justice, they they really believe that they can solve it. The only one that can solve it is Jesus. And what I love to see when white resource people do get engaged is that we get so beat down that we finally get it. I'm poor in spirit. This whole thing, me engaging, is not, it's not a battle to win. It's a process to change me. 
uh, we've already won in Christ Jesus. <laughs> the, the final chapter's been written. It's called the book of Revelation. Uh, it's also called the resurrection of Christ. We have won. And so we don't have anything to win except to live in this world as instruments of reconciliation and justice, loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, loving God more than we love anyone, including ourselves, and letting him, in the midst of the kingdom work that he's called us to do, to get so low that we look up to him and point the rest of the world to him and not to us. How do we do that? Well, guess what? Paul tells us. Look at verses 14 through 19 in Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength. My goodness, what are you going to tell us, Paul? I mean, look, look, that's a mouthful. You pray for what again? Oh, okay. I pray that you might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I want you to know, church, because it's going to be hard, how high and wide and deep and long is the love of Jesus for you. When you live a life seeking justice for the oppressed, fighting for the rights of the marginalized, you will be marginalized. And you know the greatest temptation that the devil has to keep us from living that kind of life? We see it in the garden, when, or excuse me, in the desert when Jesus was tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. You remember what the first temptation was? The devil came to him and said these words, If you are the Son of God. Now, it's not about turn these stones into bread so you can eat. That, that was the temptation. If you are the Son of God. Because the devil knew if he could get Jesus himself to doubt the sufficiency of God as Father, it was done. The battle was done. But as long as he believed that he was beloved of the Father, as long as he believed that he was the apple of the Father's eye, that he was the treasure in his treasure chest, that, that he was the glory of his glory, that he was everything to him, the devil had no chance. And so Paul falls on his knees, constantly praying that the church would know how high and wide and deep and long is the love of Jesus for them. Why? So they can sit there and just drink it all in? No. So that in the midst of the battle, that might be the Red Cross who brings aid. That that might be the doctor who brings healing. That that might be the, the refuge and the foundation that brings strength to the, to the weak. Because the very thing that the devil wants us to believe is that God may love other people, but there's no way he loves me. Look at my life. And Jesus says, don't look. Paul says, hey, don't look at your life. Look at the cross. Because that explains the love of Christ. Came across a couple of quotes. Sigmund Freud, of all people, said this. How bold one gets when he is sure of being loved. 
Sigmund Freud of all people. The father of modern psychology. How bold one gets when he understands he's loved. Because when we understand we're loved, we're going to be willing to pour out and to give our lives. I'll end with this quote. What kind of church do we want to be? Pope Francis nails it. I prefer a church which is bruised, hurting, and dirty because it's been out on the streets rather than a church which is unhealthy from being confined and from clinging to its own security. Oof. I love my security, guys. <laughs> More than by fear of going astray, my hope is that we will be moved by, their, by the fear of remaining shut up within structures which gives us a false sense of security within rules which make us harsh judges, within habits which made us, uh, make us feel safe, while at our door people are starving and Jesus is not tired of saying, give them something to eat. Oh, dear friends, do we want to be a church that is safe and secure, or do we want to be a church that is dirty and broken and bruised, pointing people to the only hope that we have? When we get involved with... Carrying our neighbor's burdens, we're going to be broken, hurting, and bruised. But we're going to take people where we need to go, and that is to the table of bread and the table of wine. May we come this morning, dear friends, drinking in His grace, relishing the only food that He can give us, the spiritual food of the gospel. Father, we thank You this morning that You are a God that feeds Your people. We thank you that you've not left us alone, but you have given us victory in Christ Jesus. We thank you that we can come to you weak, but we can leave strong because you are the God of heaven and earth. And you are the God who upholds us. You are our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. So would you bring us around these tables that we might feast upon you by faith, declaring and experience again that you are our hope. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.